Welcome, my friends, to the Moon Jockeys Podcast. <laughs> An in-depth discussion of Star Wars themes, characters, and storylines. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to another episode of Moon Jockeys Podcast. My name is Brian, your host. You may know our guest tonight from his work on Full of Sith. How are you doing tonight, Bobby? I am uh, I'm doing all right. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. It's yeah, great well, to well, finally What were you up to you. today? You, what, what was your day like? Uh, the normal work. Yeah. Come home, hang out with <laughs> the family. And yeah. just kind of prepare for the podcast. It's pretty easy oh, really? going. Oh, that's pretty cool. So this is like the uh, the cherry on top of the day. Like uh, like like work was a little bit strenuous, and then you got the stress reliever with the fam, uh, and now you settle in in front of a computer and talk about Star Wars with people across the country. Pretty much, that's kind of how I end the day when I'm all I by like myself, it. and yeah, <laughs> the house is quiet for a moment. I like that. How's your day? Yeah, so it's like. In in olden times, people would like go out onto the porch and and whittle something out of a bit of wood, or they would they would drink corn juice that had been fermented just so or something. But here in the twenty first century, uh, we sit in our little rooms in front of our microphones and stare into this glowing square and uh, and talk about Star Wars. I think we got it pretty good. I think we got it pretty good. I'm I suck at carving things out of bits of wood, so I'm 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 liking this technological advancement. I'm really good at about talking about fake things, so that works pretty well for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually have a couple of questions just to talk a little bit more about you. Um, okay. I love your uh, rumor control episodes of Full of Sith. Oh, thank you. Um, what do you enjoy most about spoilers and AKA shaking the presence under the tree? <laughs> um, uh, it used to be a game that was, um, it felt like it was a lot more necessary simply because of how uh, stressful being a Star Wars fan used to feel back in those days. And even uh, back before The Force Awakens opened, there was just sort of this constant question of how much Star Wars are we going to get? And if this is all that there is, like, how, how, how prepared do I need to be? Um, and that sort of underlying, uh, I don't know, insecurity, I guess, tension, uh, fear. Uh, that sort of fueled everything. Like, you don't really need to know what's coming next if you're already guaranteed that something will be coming. At that point, it's a little bit easier to sort of take it as it comes. Um, the fact that there's one of these films a year, every year, for the foreseeable future, um, takes a lot of that pressure off. You can just enjoy what you want to enjoy and set aside all the other stuff and you don't have to feel weird about setting it. Well, you never had to feel weird about setting it aside anyway. It's just movies. Yeah. But you don't have to feel weird about setting it aside uh, because there's not that sort of false scarcity about it, you know? And that's how people sort of used to look at spoilers. Like, I'm only going to get so much Star Wars before it goes away again for the rest of my life. Um, so I need, to, I need to be, you know, up to my armpits in it at all times. Let me know what I'm about to watch before I watch it seven or eight times in a row. Um, for me, like, I went into the 
the last Jedi uh, completely spoiler free. I didn't mean to. Wow. Um, I just I just sort of noticed that it had happened uh, with like about two and a half, three months to go. Yeah. It's like, well, if I'm only two and a half months out, uh, I'm just going to roll with it. Um, it's a hell of a thing <laughs> to go 40 years without having a Star Wars movie spoiled for me. <laughs> uh, and you know, that that's the one, the, the one that basically breaks everyone's brain on their first view, the people who love it or the people who dislike it. Either way, people left that theater with a, you know, a cracked skull and, and gray matter leaking out. Uh, so for that to be the one that I didn't get spoiled on, that's probably the the best possible result. Um, as a matter of fact, I might sort of lightly spoil myself for the rest of the films coming up, uh, simply because I, I don't think that going spoiler free for anything is going to work as well for me as it did on, uh, the last Jedi. I'm not a, I'm not a huge believer in the idea that the best possible way to watch a film is by not knowing anything at all about it. Um, I, I, I don't agree with that. Um, and I think, uh, (laughs) human existence is proven, uh, (laughs) And basic advertising through over a century has sort of proven that audiences want to at least know a little bit of what they're getting into and having a little bit of foreknowledge of what they're getting into uh, sort of helps them accept and process the the turns that will be coming uh, in the course of the, the telling of the story. And of course, like turns in the touring in the telling of a story aren't exactly the most important thing either. Like there are plenty of films, plenty of stories, plenty of television shows where you know exactly what's coming, and that's part of the appeal. Um, is it's not what happens; it's how it happens and why it happened. Um, so, and since I have that sort of viewpoint on how storytelling works, um, spoilers don't bother me at all. And I, I often like to look into them because if I if I find out something really interesting about what a film is trying to do, um, that just makes me even more anticipatory because I'm like, how are they going to do this? How are they going to pull this off? How is this going to play? What, what's the music going to sound like when this moment pops up? Um, and I have found in my experience uh, in the 40 years that I've been alive watching movies, uh, more often than not, that has enriched the film for me. Spoilers definitely make the movie is better for me um they ease a lot of the anxiety i have um because i don't have to worry about what's gonna happen it's more about how it's gonna happen when i first see the movie and like on top of that it gives me a year to two years of daily entertainment of getting a new small nugget of what the is gonna happen in the movie or um a scene or scene description or character discussion like i love the spoilers and just how it you get bits and pieces of uh what the big picture is going to be like throughout the uh year day by day you do know what i mean oh yeah no i get you absolutely and and uh a lot of people fold that sort of anticipation uh into the run-up and it sort of is even people who hated spoilers back in the prequel days will openly admit that the the spoiler engine was part of the weird, warm, nostalgic glow uh, of you know of the of that time. Like the churn uh, of noise was part of why they looked back on it fondly. Um, it's also very much part of why uh, enthusiast press is garbage now. But <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> like today was so bad. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, today was one of the worst ones I've ever seen, which is saying something. Because again, like I came up out of the primordial ooze of, of Ain't It Cool and Chud uh, when there absolutely were no rules whatsoever. Now there are rules. Now there are examples of what you probably should not be doing. And people are doing stuff even worse than it was back in like 99, 2000 when nobody had any clue what they were doing. Now they know exactly what they're doing and they don't care. <laughs> it's It's awful. I'm just glad that we do have some um, spoiler sites that are reliable that do double check and triple check sources oh, yeah, so yeah. that they're actually reliable. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, making Star Wars is an absolute blessing for anybody who wants to get like the best possible spoiler experience. There are other sites out there who will just, you know, fire hose whatever tidbit they get against the wall and they'll do it very artlessly. And that almost always encourages, you know, fights and anger uh, and, and, you know, misunderstandings. Um, and Jason and, and Amanda and, and Corey and them over there, uh, they're usually the ones that are on top of the spoilers themselves. And they take great care uh, in framing uh, the story they're about to give you and trying to make it as even keelish as possible so you understand the possibilities that could be springing out of the news that you are ch choosing to read because they give you every possible out to back away from the computer before they hit you with the news. So there's definitely a very conscientious approach uh, that making Star Wars takes yeah. and uh, I definitely uh, appreciate that. I dive into everything Jason writes pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I find it really ironic that the old technology is what is being used today to kind of keep the secrets of Lucasfilm. Like, did you see the article where Ryan Johnson talked about what he did to keep the secrets for The Last Jedi? Uh, I don't believe I did. What, what, what was his secret? I just figured it was him being a nice guy because it's <laughs> it's really hard to want to screw over and leak details uh, on a production that like everyone just saw this this making of documentary, um, and he's just like he, he's like this little uh, he's like this little cherub, this little filmmaking cherub that just sort of <laughs> giggles at everything and he never gives you a hard time and he's like the most supportive director in the world and like. If you're working on a set with that guy, it's like, why would I want to screw that guy over so some dude in Illinois can get an extra 2,000 hits this month? Like, why would I want to do that? And I figured that was his foolproof plan uh, for not having anything leak was to just be so nice that you'd feel like a, a terrible, terrible person for wanting to. But what did he actually do? He His laptop that he wrote the script on um, basically has never seen the internet. Like, ah. I forget what it's called. But having a computer that's not part of the World Wide Web... Um, <laughs> allowed it to remain hack free or whatever. Yeah, I heard about it. Okay, so now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he just basically kept his uh, laptop on airplane mode the entire time, didn't he? <laughs> I, I think he specifically bought a computer that has that is made to <laughs> not do that. Um but then oh, like I his, didn't think he went that his camera So he bought like a laptop like the laptop from a from a Jurassic Park, like or one Mission of those Impossible or <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And then, like, his camera is old and it uses film, so there's no digital um, yeah. images. And mm -hmm. basically use moleskins to, dry, to draw the um, sketchboard. So basically everything he used yeah. to create it was old-fashioned. Well, and we're in this weird period of time right now here in the, uh, the early 21st century where a lot of the stuff that we are enjoying – 
um, is, is stuff that probably hasn't been popular since uh, the last centuries, 20s and 30s. Like uh, podcasting is bigger than it's ever been before. And it's not because of, you know, people talking or, or, or comedians launching their 56 podcast or whatever. Um, it's because everyone has rediscovered what radio drama is. Yeah. And that's that's wild to me that in 2018 podcasts have become more legitimate than even their inventors could have imagined. And they they became so because people are basically rediscovering radio drama without ever really knowing about radio drama in the first place. Uh, so the idea that uh, Ryan Johnson is somehow thwarting this weird digital monster that we've all created and have been feeding since the Phantom Menace came out, the idea that he avoided it by basically using notebooks um, and, and laptops uh, that aren't connected to the Internet, uh, you know, like basically acting as if it's still 1977 is a really good way to make sure secrets don't get out. That's it turns out. Who knew? Amazing. And have you ever seen a movie called Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater? Absolutely. I have seen it. Um, I remember seeing it back in, uh, I think it came out in 89, no, 90. I think it came out in 90. Here's how I'm remembering when it came out. There's a song on the soundtrack by Ice-T called uh, L-G-B-N-A-F. It's an acronym for something awful that you don't want to share with your listeners. Um, but that song always jumped out at um, and I remembered that it was part of the soundtrack because the album it was on came out the year previous. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that was 1990. It's just kind of funny that I think that movie was ahead of his time. And instead of pirate radio, really what they were talking about yeah. is podcasting. And yeah, how yeah, pirate came... radio was. Yeah, it was pirate radio was never actually like that. That was one of the I'm, and you would be you probably wouldn't be surprised to know that the guy who wrote the movie about pirate radio, that wasn't absolutely anything at all like pirate radio, uh, then went on to write the movie about working in a music store. That wasn't anything like mu working at a music store. Uh, he's the guy that wrote empire records too. I love empire records. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's Rex it's Manning Rex Ma day. I'm pretty sure it's Rex Manning day coming up here pretty soon. Isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. I'm not sure. Anyway, anyway, my, my wife loves the hell out of that movie. Uh, I myself, not a big fan, but <laughs> Part part of part of my not being a big fan has to do with the fact I was working at a Sam Goody when that movie came out. Yeah. Uh, and so not only was I watching a movie about working at a music store that had nothing to do with the drudgery that was my life, and I was sort of seething that I didn't get to have that experience at my crappy job. Um, everyone who came into the store just sort of assumed that that's what our jobs was like. Do you and we had gin blossoms. <laughs> Oh, God, I guess. So we had to explain to people, like, why our store, our Sam Goody, didn't work the way that music stores worked in Empire Records. I was like, that's not, it's not we don't have a guy, we don't have Anthony LaPaglia <laughs> in the back room drumming along at CDC. It's just not, we're just trying to collect our check and go home, man. <laughs> when I eventually get fired from here, I'm going to steal a bunch of DVDs off the wall <laughs> and never look back, you know. That's that. That was our experience. It was a lot more, you know, just just mean and and dirty and grungy. But I do now that I'm older uh, appreciate the more fantastical, lighthearted elements of Empire Records. And I really still think that uh, Pump Up the Volume is a pretty decent movie. Uh, not just you know for its time, but like as a film, you just sit down and watch it, even if you've never seen it before. It still plays pretty decently. I like it quite a bit. How do you? put together uh everything you did with how the force works in the special for the last jedi uh oh. soundtrack 
Um, yeah, that's, that's uh, that was weird. Uh, basically, I I sort of there were a couple different models I used as inspiration for that. Um, I kind of had an idea as to what I wanted, like a like a little mini music documentary to sound like in podcast form. Uh, but I mean, obviously the first influence and I, I copped to it within like two minutes. Cause the last thing I wanted was a bunch of like angry tweets and or comments about what a horrible job I'd done just ripping off David Collins. So firstly, I tried to a not rip him off. I, I didn't do it exactly the way he did it. Um, but I definitely looked at how he took, uh, the, the themes, uh, and the musical ideas that he wanted to highlight and how he would arrange them over the course of a show. Um, I was a, I was a big fan of Star Wars Oxygen when I was still alive uh and i'm a very big fan of the soundtrack show now that it is alive and it has risen from the ashes of oxygen like a phoenix uh and they like david just started the uh his first deep dive on that show which is jaws um and that's that's really good i highly recommend that so anyway there was what david did on oxygen uh and then there's um i like to rail on really bad YouTubers quite a bit on my Twitter because I feel like they are one of the worst, if not the worst, influences on film discussion uh, in the 21st century. Uh, so many people will just watch, you know, like Red Letter Media, Angry Joe, Cinema Sins. Uh, they'll watch these channels and think that if they memorize the talking points that these cynical white men from the Midwest are, are coughing up into their laps, uh, that that will make them sound uh, smarter about talking about movies. And it just makes them sound cynical and mean-spirited. <laughs> but, but... There are people on YouTube who are legit good at what they do, who are insightful, who know how to break stuff down and present it in a way that even if you'd never like taken a single film class in your life and you absolutely don't have to, even if you'd never done that, you could still get the ideas presented so clearly that if you had to take a film class the next day, you could probably get a good B plus A minus in that class based on just watching the YouTube video and really thinking about the ideas that they're presented. And so people like uh, Movies with Mikey, uh, people like Lindsay Ellis, uh, Nerd Writers, a, a pretty decent example. Um, some of those some of those creators, I'd, I'd been watching them and sort of, you know, metabolizing how they how they shared the ideas that they wanted to get across. So it was basically, I took some of those, I took some of David Collins, uh, I took some of my own ideas and conversations um, and sort of blended them all together and then tried to sort of give it a radio drama-ish approach. There's also a very good show uh, here in Portland called The Score. Um, uh, a wonderful man with an amazing voice named Edmund Stone. Uh, he does a live score show on radio out here. Um, and so he was definitely a, a bit of an influence as well because there's just this warmth and joy about just getting to play the music, much less talk about it or talk to the people who made it. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that that came through, not just the sort of, well, this is this theme and it corresponds to this person and maybe this is what so-and-so meant when they came up with it or maybe this is what this corresponds to. I didn't want to just do that. I also wanted to sort of relay that this stuff makes me feel good yeah, <laughs> and it makes me, it makes me happy and I love it for reasons beyond just, you know, the intellectual or the storytelling telling level. Like I love it because it just sounds great. Um, and so Edmund Stone's influence, I think can most, most definitely be felt there. Um, and so at, at that point it was just a matter of cranking out the scripts, 
Actually, the first thing I did is email David Collins and say, is it cool if I do this? Because um, if, I, if I'm if i mashing on your toes at all by even pitching this, let me know and I'll back off. Um, and, and he said, no, you're good. Go ahead. The more podcast about film score, the better, because that means, you know, more people might be getting into it and then we all get to enjoy this stuff uh, and, and share it with more people. And I was like, all right, uh, I'll try not to screw it. I'm, I'm trying not to do you wrong, man. And he was like, whatever, stop bugging me. <laughs> so uh, so once I got the OK from him, I told Brian and Mike and them uh, because I don't have anywhere to host this stuff. And I was like, is it OK if I put it back up on Full of Sif? Um, And they were like, absolutely, 100 percent. So I cranked out the scripts in I think like two days. And then at that point, it was simply a matter of listening to the music, re-listening to the music to make sure that I wasn't being inaccurate. And there are still inaccuracies in there. I so badly want to go back and do a George Lucas special edition, but I can't. It's out there. It's too late. Um, So there are mistakes in there. I know they're there. Uh, Mia culpa. I made a three-part podcast miniseries about the score after only watching the movie twice uh, with two two weeks of of release. So (laughs) You're a brave soul. There's going to be some... Yeah, there's going to be some goofs in there, but I think I got it like 85, 90% right, something like that, maybe. I loved um, it. It was really good, and I, I love oh, how um, you actually put a lot of uh, your flavor into it where, in your sense of humor, I guess, uh, where you have a playful banter with just the person listening so that they get more of your personality when you share what you have to say. No, oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah, that's that's. I was hoping that that would play. Like, it's really weird writing uh, a script because um, I absolutely was not coming off the dome. I was reading. <laughs> uh, it's really weird writing a script, knowing that you're going to have to say it, and when you say it, it's going to have to sound like you're just talking, yeah. um, at least on some level. I, I mean, it's very obvious I'm reading from a script. You can't completely fake it. Um, that would feel almost fraudulent to me to sort of be like, Oh no, no, no. I freestyled the whole thing. Like, come on, man. No, (laughs) but, but, uh, but it is sort of weird to sort of, to, to write knowing that you're going to have to deliver this thing. Um, and it's going to have to be a performance of you. Like it's, it's not quite me. It's like a nice MC version of me, but I also realized like I got to get the hell out of the way because people are there for the music more than anything. Like they might be there for me to sort of point out what parts of the music are, are really interesting to me. Like I'm a good tour guide, but no one goes on a tour and then just stares at the tour guide while they're on the bus the entire time. Like that, that's a bad tour. They want to Uh, see the sights. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's why there aren't any, you know, walls on the side of the bus. It's just, you know, (laughs) railing. Um, and I didn't want to write a script where it's just like, oh, no, no, no. I will describe to you the music outside. <laughs> you just you just hang with me. I'll tell you what the music is like. Um, I wanted to make sure there were plenty of opportunities for people to, uh, to turn the podcast up uh, and, and have it rock in their headphones or even, you know, rock the speakers in their car. Like I, I wanted there to be some, oh, yeah, that's my jam type moments, which is sort of a weird thing to want to aim for in a Star Wars music podcast. But I absolutely believe there are, oh, yeah, that's my jam moments in that score. So I wanted to make, I wanted to make sure they got highlighted. You had great, well, have great chemistry with Brian, especially when you get his goat mm. a lot because he's kind of an easy <laughs> target. He's a he's a very open, earnest. He's maybe one of the most empathetic people I have ever met in my life. And he's he's self-aware of this. He knows this. But it also means he can't help himself 
from from remaining wide open. <laughs> and he understands. I mean, I couldn't needle him, A, if I didn't care about him, and B, if he wasn't such a good sport. And he's one of the best sports there possibly is. So uh, it's it's interesting because I think I've told the story in another podcast before, but when I was asked to to come on, you know, like once a month just to talk about Star Wars rumors and such, mm-hmm. and that ends up being like a, you know, a, a full seat at the table for a while there. Um, when I was asked to come on, the big worry was that Brian and I would just fight each other all the time. Um, because Mike was very aware of what my opinions on Star Wars were, and he was very aware on what Brian's were. Uh, and he absolutely knew that they did not match. Like, they did not jibe very, you know, they, they didn't align very well. Um, and, you know, Mike being someone who knows how Star Wars d- discourse online tends to go was just sort of like, I don't know if I can be a good enough ref. Yeah. Um, and it turns out what happened was I don't think Brian and I ever had a single fight. Um, <laughs> but you disagreed all of the time. And I loved exactly. it so freaking much because you guys were respectful and like mm-hmm. gave each other room to have an opinion and not. But still had art like logical arguments of sharing what you believe and why you believe it. So your discussions were so great. I loved it. Here's the thing that um, I loved when Brian was on very recently with uh, Steel Saunders on his show Steel Wars, which is a great show. Uh, And Steel and Brian were having a conversation. And there was a moment that Steel talked about that just jumped out at me uh, and cracked me up. Uh, because it was so funny and it was so true. And I'm just going to sort of kind of retell it. Uh, just go and listen to that Steel Wars episode if you haven't, uh, whoever's listening to this. Uh, but basically the moment was Steel was talking about how he would wait for Brian's reviews of Rebels mm-hmm. and would go to Big Shiny Robot and go to read them. Uh, and this is the running joke. And I'll freely admit that this running joke uh, happened behind the scenes of Full of Sith. I'm fairly cer- certain it happened behind the scenes of any Star Wars podcast because Star Wars podcast communities uh, tend to be sort of uh, gossipy and, and coffee clatchy. Uh, <laughs> it's very true. Uh, but you know, sometimes good naturedly, sometimes uh, a little more mean spirited. But still, uh, part of the running gag was that you would read a big shiny robot review that Brian wrote. Uh, and you'd get to the end, you'd be like, it didn't sound like you liked that all that much, so I'm betting it's a seven. <laughs> and it would turn out it was either like a seven, an eight, or a nine, or a ten. Like, that was that was basically Brian's scale. Like, the worst review he ever gave something <laughs> was like 7.5. And so, and, and, and that ended up becoming like a bit of a running joke, and, and Steele sort of referenced this. He was like, I used to, you know, check the reviews and see that you gave something I really didn't like an eight, and I'd start to get annoyed. Oh, my and, gosh. You know, and I started laughing because I'm like, no, yeah, I recognize that impulse. I've, I've held, held that impulse, maybe not aimed at Brian, but aimed at other people. And the part that cracked me up and then the part that sort of like just shone like a bright light of understanding was when Steele said, and then I stopped and thought, why am I getting mad at the idea that there's a guy out there who likes something more than me? Why would that annoy me? Why would I hold the fact that he likes this thing as much as he does against him? And that's the question that I think a lot of people don't ever get to the point of asking themselves. They just do that thing where, you know, that Internet meme where it's like, look at that dude over there eating crackers. <laughs> where like you get mad at somebody so much like you can get mad at them for the littlest thing that they do. Like they open a package of crackers and you're just like, look at that dude eating crackers. 
Um, and I think a lot of that sort of general attitude rises up and gets fed into simply because people don't straight up ask the question, why am I annoyed by the idea that someone out there likes a thing more than I do? <laughs> why can't I just give them space to enjoy it? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, I, it, it, you don't have to like it as much as they do. It's not a contest. You don't have to stop them from liking it as much as they do. Um, there's a natural point, and most people recognize it, at which your best option is to go, all right, well, I, I, I pitched in my two cents. We don't agree, but it's cool that you like it more than I do, um, or vice versa. Uh, it's, it's cool that you don't like it, but I'm glad that we obviously like some parts of the same stuff. Um, and it was very early on in the show that um and brian and i never talked about this but it was very early on in the show where brian and i both i think immediately recognized that spot and we're like there's not gonna be i can't talk somebody out of the feeling they have you can't intellectually argue somebody over the emotional reaction they have even attempting to do so is where like 99 percent of all the fights about star wars go completely haywire and then blow up in your face the idea that you can intellectually argue somebody out of the emotional feeling they have and i'm not saying it like it's a it's a compulsion that i've managed to conquer um like i still obviously succumb to it even as a 40 year old who spent 20 years of his life online playing this stupid game like i still sometimes struggle with it i'll still get caught going into someone's twitter feed like i don't know about that movie you just said you love what about this part and they're like no i love that part and it's at that point i'm like why did I just come in and step all over that dude's ding ding? Why why did I do that? Why did I go into that woman's Twitter feed and try to be like, well, are you sure that you like the thing that you said you liked that much? What about this problematic element? And then she's like, what problematic element? I love that part. And you're like, why am I walking around with a cold shower strapped to my back like Super Mario Sunshine? Why am I doing that to people? Um, and it was when Steele said that while talking about Brian to Brian that I was like, Man, <laughs> if more people just sort of pose that question to themselves, I bet the number of disagreements would drop heavily because you don't feel like it's your God-given right to sort of make someone believe that the emotional reaction they're having to a film is the incorrect one. Um, anyway. It's very true, and I, it's kind of like one of the things that drew me to full shift so much to begin with. But like my dad, um, when growing up for some reason, he, like he had PTSD and he had a really hard time, uh, socializing. Yeah. So the way he socialized was arguing specifically debating, <laughs> um, sports uh stats. Oh yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, there, there were a lot of, uh, there are a lot of men, uh, especially in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The way the things that we're doing now online while we're in our 30s and 40s um, are things that our parents and our grandparents did uh, in bars over sports pages uh, 50, 60 years ago. Um, it's essentially the same exact thing. So, like, I grew up with that kind of um, argument. Uh, like, you always had to give supporting evidence of why you believe what you believe. Um, mm -hmm. And so, like... I kind of enjoy disagreement agreeing a little bit because it's sort of fun and it makes you look at things from a different perspective. So I may just be one of the few people that enjoys the conflict. 
<laughs> no, you're definitely not one of the few. There's few is probably the wrong word to describe people who just enjoy the conflict. <laughs> but I, I would I would suggest that uh, questioning yourself um, and questioning why uh, people might react the way they do isn't a bad thing. It's just that impulse isn't bad in and of itself. It's when you don't marry that impulse to the context of what's happening in front of you. Like if you don't recognize how someone is reacting to what you're doing, yeah. if, if you misread it or worse, if you just steamroll over it, that's when things go sideways. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with uh, like let's say you and I are talking and, and you say, I really liked that moment in Matrix when X. And I'm like, I didn't think that moment looked bleh. If I don't notice that you're starting to get really annoyed with me, that I won't let it go, that's on me. Yeah. That's absolutely 100% on me. You are 100% right to feel the feeling that you feel, especially if it feels like I'm steamrolling you. Um, that It's on me to recognize what effect my words are having on you and adjust appropriately. Um, and it's the same thing in, in any conversation, in any argument. Part of the reason Brian and I never fought, despite the fact that he has so many wrong opinions about Star Wars. Does he? Uh, like, seriously. <laughs> Part of the reason we never fought, though, is that he and I are very good at, you know, recognizing when what we're saying uh, is starting to maybe edge into an uncomfortable area. Um, and I think it also helps that with both of us, there aren't that many uncomfortable areas in the first place uh, because we try really hard not to tie everything we are to the stuff that we like. Yeah. Uh, the stuff that we like is stuff that we like because of who we are. It's not stuff that we like because we need it to be who we are. Um, that That's a subtle difference, but it's a very strong difference. Like, you need to be a person aside from all this fandom stuff, and that will help you approach fandom a lot more even keelish. Um, and, and I think that's, I mean, Brian's lived a lot of life. Uh, that man has gone through a lot. Um, I, you know, maybe not as much as Brian, but it's not a contest. Um, <laughs> but there's still... Well, there's still definitely like the sort of mutual respect and recognition that um, if it starts to get super annoying or, or you know, bitey you know, or tinfoil on the back of your teethy um, to remember that, you know, it really is just talking about movies and the movies are ultimately, you know, just sort of these fictional things off to the side that uh, that speak to us in a way that we both recognize, but they're not who we are. Not at all. And. They're they're not so important that, you know, friends, friendships should get ruined over it or relationships should get ruined every now and again. I'll look at, you know, I'll Twitter, I'll, I'll I'll look through Twitter and I'll scroll up and down something. And the other day I saw a conversation that some mutuals were having. Um, and obviously I didn't jump in because it's not my place, uh, <laughs> but it's obviously my place to comment on it now during a podcast. Anyway, what was happening was. <laughs> What was happening was one person was telling another person about a third person that they that they had a crush on, uh, and then they decided to not have the crush and maybe cut off contact with this third person uh, because they didn't like a movie the same way this other person did. Oh, like that happens a lot. I 
I have friends who have openly admitted that they have cut off like relationships or conversations with other people uh, based not on, you know, you know, political opinions, which sort of makes sense because politics is how we all live, uh, you know, but not over, you know, sort of basic human rights uh, questions, uh, you know, very important weighty issues like they have cut off friends based on the fact that uh, X person said Y thing about a character that they didn't enjoy. And therefore, they are now an unperson. And that happens. Uh, and it's unfortunate. Uh, and people need to work through that at their own speed. Like, you can't sort of speed them along. They've got to come to those realizations on their own. Um, and I think that's just something really important to, to keep in mind when you're talking with other people online is that it's not really your job to sort of push people along. Yeah. You just sort of spe speak for yourself. Uh, speak with empathy. Uh, and, and speak with a sense of perspective and let people jump on or jump off as they will. Don't reach for them and try and pull them on. And, you know, conversely, don't jump off your own train and go chasing after them when it's very obvious they don't really want to have anything to do with you anymore. Uh, you know, just sort of be, be, be a little zen about it. Um, share the things that you love more than it is, you know, crap on the things that you dislike. Uh, when you do mention the things that you dislike, see if you can try and figure out a way to frame it in a way that you at least get back to quickly the things that you like and see if there's a middle ground there that you can both occupy at the same time. And I think when uh, I was on Full of Sith with Amy, Amy is great at this. Amy is a, a wizard at this Amy Ratcliffe, who's now with Nerdist, um, that, that was a, that was a big thing. Um, Mike was actually really good at it too, uh, which might surprise people considering, you know, his sort of his gruff, sarcastic demeanor. Uh, Mike is great at telling when someone is about to get upset and then just basically knocking everything off the table and turning it into a slumber party. <laughs> so everyone can sort of come back together and make it all hugs. Mike is a great um, peacemaker on, uh, oh, he is. He is. You, you wouldn't think, uh, you know, looking at him, he's got this big burly beard. He's wearing this big leather vest. There's 300 patches all over the place. Um, you know, like you would think, all right, this dude probably knows how to throw down. And he does have that aspect to him. Absolutely. But he is also a, a big cuddly bear, uh, yeah. a huge cuddly bear. I want this podcast to be another location where people can go to have those conversations where they don't agree. Like, mm -hmm. I want to create a space where people can disagree and share the things that they love the most. Yeah. Um, but also constantly giving mutual uh, respect and affirmation and validation <laughs> of you're allowed to have opinions and it's okay if ours don't match up. Um, right. And so, like, like oh, that's let's, let's provide, a let's good thing. Example. Let's provide an example here uh, because I'm about to violently disagree with you in as pleasant a way as possible. Okay. Uh, what, what do you think your most awful take about uh, Star Wars is? My most awful take? Yeah, the most awful. The hottest, most magmatic, lava-filled take that you can think of. I think the Force is love. <laughs> You are also apparently a big cuddly bear. I asked for a magma take, and she came back with the force is love because it's a spiritual oh. thing. It's it's not like a, it's 
All right. Wait, yeah. who is the, okay, hold on, hold on. Who has been pushing back against you that it's not that though? Because I guarantee someone you've probably brought that up in some forum or another and someone has actually said, "No, dummy, it's not love." Well, a lot of my takes come from religion, I think, and I think yeah. that I'm a little sensitive for the fact that most or a lot of people don't like to talk about religion. So I guess yeah. I'm a little defensive on that level. No, no, no. I, I understand. And that's there's a lot of social conditioning in that um, to the point where I think uh, talking about how you don't talk about religion is actually more dangerous than talking about religion at this point. Uh, if anything, I think uh, <laughs> I think there are aspects of talking about film that have actually gotten worse than talking about religion. For example, if you ever broach the subject uh, of what films you can and can't watch anymore or because the person who made them is an awful person, that topic ends up being more fraught with, uh, oh. with danger. Yeah, that topic is worse than talking about religion almost because, because people supporting get, their work get, is supporting the person that did terrible things. Exactly, and there's that whole... I call it like the uh, the movie Mendoza line, or not even the Mendoza line. That's a sports reference. Um, it's sort of like the Allen under two hundred batting average. Just yes, in case you weren't unaware. But uh, the movie version of it would be like the Allen Polanski line. You know what I'm saying? Like it's up to you how you want to sort of choose whose movies you watch, and when, and it's completely your decision. And nobody has any right to say that you've made the bad call because the call is up to you. And it's your call to make. Um, and when you say it like that, it absolutely becomes like a parallel to religious conversation. Um, but no, I think when you're talking about something like the force, you almost have to uh, talk about the religious aspects of it. You, you, you can't not really because it's such a, an amalgamation of those things. So like it's obviously inspired by those ideas. So using uh, religion as a comparison point, I don't think that's out of bounds at all. Uh, if you use it to sort of like, I don't know, convert people to another religion, then maybe that's a little bit out of bounds. But if you're just using uh, the religion that you were brought up when as a, uh, you know, sort of a reference point, a measuring stick uh i don't think there's anything wrong with that at all well thanks <laughs> i appreciate that i just, <laughs> what is your most hottest take for star wars oh the one that got me uh sort of unpersoned by a lot of people on twitter uh was uh and i still remember this vividly because i was not expecting a fight to pop off and then it did and i lost it heavily um, did you say some colorful metaphors <laughs> No, I, well, I probably did because I can't stop myself. Uh, I'm so afraid that my ideas are bland and uninteresting that I try to dress them up in as descriptive uh, a language as possible. Um, and apparently that's been fooling people for a while. Not not a lot of people, not important people, but uh, it fools me. Um, <laughs> I think the, the one that, uh, that uh, got me in the most trouble recently that I can think of was the idea that um, Padme Amidala is a bad character but it's not but it's not her fault um because the things that make her bad are things that her writers uh george lucas and jonathan hales obviously never put any thought into whatsoever and so when she's seen as a flat one-dimensional character who just sort of pushed around the storytelling chessboard as a means to either motivate uh or or aggravate 
the hero, who is the one character in all the movies that you could tell George Lucas actually thought about internally as a character uh, and not just a moving plot point. Um, when she gets shoved around the board like that, it just plays so hollow uh, and wrote like there are obviously bullet points as to how she could have been fleshed out. But it really seems like the men who wrote her never stopped to even attempt to crawl into her head and think about how she would behave in those situations. Instead, they just sort of thought of her as, where do I put her so that it maximizes the reaction from our hero? So or do you think Padme is just a plot device to explain Absolutely. Anakin's turn? Absolutely. She's all. She was almost always intended to be that and nothing but that. You can tell when you watch the movies because almost none of the decisions she makes uh, are made uh, by like staring out from her eyes at other characters. Like you, and that's when when I say those things, people think like I'm personally crapping on the character herself, and I'm not. I mean, the character is nothing more than an avatar for ideas that the story wants to bring to life. Um, there's there's an idea that the writer wants to sort of share, uh, and characters are simply the way that they choose to do that. Um, the problem is that I think the writer in question never really thought of her in any other way but a plot device, and that's why her character falls flat in the films. I think he did... Leia's mom a huge disservice by writing her the way that he did. And I've shared that opinion and it's gotten people angry at me. <laughs> okay, part of me agrees with you on some level with the theatrical yeah. released um, versions of Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith because so much of Padme's plot was actually cut from the film. Yeah. But because those scenes exist i think that there was a lot of thought given to padme and who she was and what she meant to the saga specifically um i don't think it's very clear in attack of the clones but they should have made it abundantly clear that basically she's the speaker of the house um in the senate that is opposed to the construction of the grand army of the republic at the beginning yeah. of the attack of the clones like she's got a high position of political power where she's opposing like a bill um and that's not very clear because they don't show that speech that she gives um in attack of the clones had they shown that it would have been much clearer in it would have given her character a lot more depth and explain why she's being assassinated yeah, well, but uh, uh, part of the flip side to that is um, if if he had actually, you know, taken a lot of time to care about how that particular aspect of the story was uh, portrayed, um, he probably wouldn't have cut it as easily as he did. The fact that they hit the cutting room floor at all tells me that it was never really all that important to him because it not only happened in Attack of the Clones, it happened in Revenge of the Sith, too. There are two films in which her, her subplots, her primary subplots basically get axed. 100% like they're out and the one and in Phantom Menace almost all of her stuff manages to stay in but all of that stuff again exists almost specifically to serve the you know Qui-Gon's character she's there to make Qui-Gon look smart because he's the only one that sees through her disguise the entire time uh, and she's there to motivate Anakin um, and and that's why she's there it's not even really to be like a good queen and save her people like that's paid lip service but that's what that, that, that's his idea. They he 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 writes her 
as lip service 90% of the time. And when it's time to write her as an actual flesh and blood person who has agency, he doesn't do it very well. And but, that is why a lot of the scenes in which she shows her agency ended up getting cut because he didn't do it right. He does give her clairvoyance in Attack of the Clones where she's <laughs> able to see some of the bullshit that's going on. Like, yeah, yeah. Understanding that Dooku's behind the assassination attempts and mm-hmm. that how the creation of the clone army is going to lead to civil war in the the galaxy. Like, she yeah. does have some clarity that she's trying to make a point of finding peace. No, yeah, no, and I and I agree with you one hundred percent that the intentions are there, but they're never built up as as strongly as they need to be, and they get kicked out from under her really quickly by screenwriters who are obviously more interested in telling a different part of the story and not as interested in telling her story as cleanly as they could have, which is why her character in Clone Wars is infinitely better. And it's also why people have been talking about, you know, like a Padme book, uh, a Padme audio drama. Like there are things you can do with that character because the the skeleton of her character is great and full of potential. It's just that potential has almost never actually been realized. She's essentially like she's the back of a baseball card. She's got a bunch of stats, but you never actually saw her rack most of those up because she never her games never got shown on TV. Or she's you know? a prospect and I would that like to hasn't see... been given a time to actually play. So there we go. Look at all these sports metaphors we're dragging into this show. This you is talk good. Baseball, this is good I'm good. Huh? <laughs> and here's another thing. I don't even really like baseball. <laughs> right. well, I'm a basketball guy. Nice. Um we were actually supposed to talk Rogue One tonight. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, you can have me back in a couple months and we can talk Rogue One then. I actually have to get out of here pretty quick. Um, okay. But, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I want to thank you for having me on, man. I'm, I'm sorry that I, uh, you, you have now joined the, uh, the long and illustrious list of people who have uh, had me on a show only to realize that one third of what you wanted to talk about got talked about because I won't shut the hell up. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, um, hopefully you'll have me back and we'll actually talk about Rogue One or whatever the hell else you want to talk about. As you can tell, um, I don't shut up and I have an opinion on basically everything. So, uh, <laughs> I do too. So that's good. All right, man. It's been a pleasure. Um, thanks for coming on and making time for me. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, find me, uh, on, on Twitter actually at Bobby Roberts PDX. That's the most reliable place, uh, to find me. Unless of course you have horrible, horrible opinions in which case I might've already muted you, but I, I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt that that's the case. Maybe I blocked you, but I doubt I just, go ahead and uh, check at Bobby Roberts PDX and then, you know, roll the dice. We'll see. And, and maybe you'll have something cool to say and then we can have a conversation. Well, I'm like, again, I'm pretty easy. <laughs> nice. Now it's time to hear from you. Email us your thoughts on how to deal with conflict in the Star Wars fandom at moonjockeyspodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast at moonjockeyspod. You can follow me at Balls in Play. Next week, we'll be talking to Mark and Jared from Podcast 2187 about our top five scenes from Rogue One. Thank you for listening, and until next time, may the Force be with you, always.
Stop button, Cherry.